1: When I wake up in the morning, I go through a pretty standard media routine. I check my news alerts, skim the major papers, look at Twitter to see what people are talking about. Then I might read a longer story or two on Slate or The New Yorker. Maybe listen to a podcast. Basically, I want to get a sense of what big stories are happening that day. But when Daily Beast reporter Will Summer wakes up, he goes through a very
0: different routine. I have, like, a, a folder on my Chrome of bookmarks that's about, like, 30 tabs that I just, like, open in the morning.
1: Will covers the extreme right wing, and he writes a newsletter about it. His goal in the morning is to get a sense of what the far right
0: is talking about. I go on, like, Telegram or Parlor, whatever site is up at the time. And then typically, like, when I go to get lunch or something, I'll listen to Rush Limbaugh around then and kind of just get the taste for it. I check the, the Donald, which is kind of the main pro-Trump forum. On Reddit? So they got kicked off of Reddit and they kind of built their own Reddit. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it basically looks just like Reddit, um, except like there's no rules. We're talking about the places where the people who have been kicked off of social media have ended up and they're fans. So already these are like kind of rough and tumble places.
1: Will is spending his days mainlining some of the darker content on the Internet. So you have like a far right info diet, basically.
0: Yeah, very much so. And I certainly spend uh, a lot more time, you know, on kind of unsavory portions of the internet. Um, but I was doing it for fun anyway, and that's kind of how I got into it. Um, wait, wait, was... wait, 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 what? Yeah. Yeah. So I come from a pretty conservative background in Texas. So I grew up like, you know, I was like road trips, listening, listening to Ayn Rand and like uh, Rush Limbaugh a lot. And, um, you know, when I went to college, my politics changed, but I still just like love these characters. And, um, I was kind of keeping up with them for fun for several years. And then kind of during the Trump era, that's when this kind of became very relevant. And basically, my my girlfriend said, you know, rather than bother me with this stuff, why don't you write a newsletter about it?
1: Keeping up with these characters is now a full-time job for Will. And it's probably not so fun anymore. It's also not so easy. After the riots at the Capitol, a lot of far-right activists have been deplatformed, Will is trying to follow them and monitor them and figure out what's just talk, talk about what they're planning in the run-up to the inauguration, and what's real. Today on the show, what happens when some of the most hateful speech on the internet is removed from the most visible spaces? Does it go away or simply migrate to places that are harder to see and find? And what happens when your leader, Donald Trump, gets deplatformed too? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick with us. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. On January 6th, Will was at the Trump rally in Washington. He was out among the president's supporters talking to them.
0: I found the crowds, frankly, very unnerving. Um, Even before any of the violence had started, I was just kind of talking to people to get material for our story. And not just people in like militia gear, but like just talking to random kind of Trump rally types. And everyone I was talking to just had this like really kind of menacing attitude and I would say, Joe Biden's going to you know, get his win certified today and it's going to be over. And they said, well, then I guess we're going to go shooting tonight or there's going to be a civil war or we're going to kill Mike Pence. Um, well, and just very, very kind of matter of factly, like like this is just a common thing we do in America. We just go execute the legislators we don't like.
1: Will says that hearing these threats in person was incredibly disconcerting, even though he'd seen some of this kind of language online, especially as the rally got closer.
0: In the weeks leading up to January 6th, there was kind of this like new desperation that seeped in, um, especially after Hail Mary, after Hail Mary failed. And so suddenly it becomes like we have to take action as like Trump grassroots, and we may have to do something that's like really ugly and potentially violent.
1: Oh, like the lawyers blew their chance, now it's on us?
0: Exactly. And increasingly there was kind of this sense of these kind of further right elements, um, whether that be militia, QAnon people, um, the Proud Boys were increasingly a- agitated. And first of all, they were really openly discussing violence on forums like the Donald, which it's not hard to find. I would just type in DC a couple times a day and there'd just be threads and threads and threads about like, here's a map of the tunnels. And zip ties were everywhere. They were always talking about bringing zip ties to take hostages. They would say, you know, oh, I don't want to hurt any cops. We'll just like sort of zip tie them. As though you could possibly do that. But it still seemed impossible to actually happen.
1: So much of what various rioters did on january 6th was streamed but by them um and i wonder how does that footage serve their movement because in some cases it has gotten them in trouble it's gotten them identified by the fbi but also i wonder if it works at all as a recruitment tool
0: you know, that's kind of a question I've been asking myself um, in many ways. I think, you know, on one hand, you know, Trump did tell them to all bring cameras and film it. Right. And I think Trump at his heart is, you know, is a showman in more online terms. You might say he has like kind of a poster spirit. And I think in some ways that's really kind of infected his fans. You know, I, I think of the guy who dresses as the QAnon shaman. And certainly when I saw that picture, I was like, oh, it's the QAnon shaman. I guess he broke into Congress. Uh, <laughs> he, he, he was kind of like a local Arizona QAnon guy. He made the trip. But at the same time, I mean, as you said, it's so incriminatory. There's this dissonance where they don't realize other people can look at it. I think of uh, all these people who've been arrested recently posting, you know, here's me doing the middle finger, you know, no mask in Congress. It's such a weird way in that, like, the Internet uh, interplays in, in our minds and in real life.
1: The real life consequences of the riot have reached far beyond the crowd that was at the Capitol that day. In the past week, Facebook banned hundreds of pages connected to the far-right boogaloo movement and various election lies. In addition to banning President Trump, Twitter removed more than 70,000 QAnon accounts. The people behind those accounts were left looking for somewhere else to go. And Will describes this process of moving from platform to platform as a kind of journey, like driving down a road toward the further reaches of the Internet.
0: The first stop on the road is parlor or Gab which have sort of set themselves up as the social media network when you get kicked off of the main social media networks. Gab, of course, has been around for a longer time and kind of ran into some trouble after they basically became the go-to place for mass shooters manifestos. Parler, on the other hand, is kind of like a more palatable site. But after, you know, there was supposedly some evidence showing that, you know, the riot was planned on Parler, Parler has been kicked off of the app stores. It's lost its servers. It doesn't exist anymore right now. It's presumably going to come back.
1: The next stops on this road away from the mainstream internet are encrypted apps like Signal and Telegram. Tens of millions of people have downloaded them over the past week. At the time of our recording, they're the number one and two apps in Apple's App Store. They aren't unique to the far right. I use Signal myself, but their encryption makes them appealing. I asked Will to describe what he sees on Telegram.
0: This was a place where... Um, people like Laura Loomer, Milo Yiannopoulos, these kind of Trump world provocateurs had kind of washed up, you know, and then there's there's kind of more extreme stuff. I mean, there's like neo-Nazi groups, you know, militias.
1: What does the conversation on Telegram look like?
0: So there's um, there are some groups that are sort of based around individual personalities that kind of look like a Twitter page. And then there's groups that are more like a, like a Facebook page or a chat room where you have a bunch of people posting. The format is relatively recognizable. Um, but like, I'm in a bunch of like Germany QAnon groups because QAnon's like super big in Germany and it's just like constant, you know, people just posting memes constantly and, and that kind of stuff. It could look like a, like a discord or a Slack room perhaps. Hmm.
1: Has that changed in the past week?
0: Yeah. I mean, it, there's been a big influx of new people just checking out Telegram. And I think unfortunately there's a lot of extremist groups who are kind of like, you know, come over to our group. Can you actually see,
1: I guess, recruitment happening or, or ideological connection happening?
0: Sure. So Telegram is kind of a a little tricky place to monitor in part because they're kind of their own little planets, each channel. And so they link to one another sometimes, but it's not like Facebook where you can just type in like Trump and you could get all the Trump groups. That said, you know, I have seen on my like QAnon groups and stuff like that, they'll post like, welcome to all the boomers joining. And, you know, that's their language, not mine. But certainly I think you can see people having contact with a lot of material that had they stayed on Facebook Uh, or Twitter they wouldn't really have encountered because that stuff had already been kicked off. Like perhaps previously you'd be seeing like some Pepe the Frog memes and now you're getting, um, you know, neo-Nazi stuff, you're getting QAnon, but all dressed up often in kind of the same language. It's like, yeah, we all love Trump Mm -hmm. and that's kind of how you smuggle it in. That said, the people who run Telegram, I think now that it's finally getting a little bigger, they say they're going to do some amount of moderation. We'll see how that shakes out.
1: You know, one thing we've talked about on this show before, um, is private Facebook groups and and how because they are private and because they are secret, they have this effect of radicalizing people because there's kind of no room for dissent. I wonder if that happens with the new arrivals to something like Telegram.
0: Yeah, certainly. I, I think that is the case. I mean, these are kind of very hyper-specific communities. I mean, generally, we're not talking about the pro-Trump forum. We're talking about the QAnon group or the Proud Boys group or what have you. And so there is this, I think, a hurting effect The one thing uniting all of them, whether they, whatever their vision of the future is, um, Trump is at the center of it.
1: We'll be right back.
0: That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
1: Obviously, the deplatforming of far-right activists is one thing, but deplatforming the president is sort of the other side of this coin. How important do you think President Trump's Twitter account was to what happened on January 6th?
0: I don't think it could have happened without his his approval, and particularly his tweets. In the weeks leading up to it, Trump tweeted, you know, everyone come to this, wear a body camera, which I didn't quite understand. I think the idea was that Antifa would infiltrate. Yes. Um, and he said, it's going to be wild. And so they took that as their tagline, and they made it the wild protest. I think a lot of people saw that as like the signal that like, this is going to be different from other protests. What I see over and over is people saying like, if Trump tells us to be there, we'll be there. If not, we're suspicious of this protest. And so the fact that Trump was tweeting about it all the time gave them this sense of of sanction, like Trump really wants you here. I mean, we know from some of the indictments that people have said, I went there because my president asked me to be there.
1: So now that he's not tweeting about it, that he doesn't have that channel, does it matter to them that they're not hearing from the president or are they moving forward anyway?
0: I mean, certainly, I, I think we've seen being built up in a lot of these groups, a sense of um, like a Trumpism after Trump. And so, you know, we're seeing he put out this video on Wednesdays that's saying, you know, if you rioted, if you commit violence, you're not really a Trump supporter. The way they square that in their heads is typically there's like some betrayal. And then they say, well, you know, kind of Trump got us as far as he could. But he's only one man. So, you know, what can we learn from Trump and keep moving forward? In the case of QAnon, for example, theoretically, it's all based around someone named Q. But Q kind of disappears and, you know, potentially someday, hopefully we'll find out who Q is and it'll look ridiculous. But Q people have already been building sort of a QAnon without Q, where they say, even if Q turns out to be some guy in a basement and he's not really, uh, you know, the head of the NSA or something, what he taught us is real. Maybe he was lying about his identity, but these were all real clues. These people are kind of getting ready to carry on without a figurehead. Ultimately, of course, if they want to take back the White House, they'll have to pick somebody. But for now, I think they're more than prepared to kind of keep going without Trump at the head.
1: So are they confused right now? Are they looking for a leader or or does not having a leader not matter?
0: I mean, I think you could talk to a lot of people who are still convinced that before noon on January 20th, he'll figure something out. And so I think that's why there's so much concern around the inauguration is the potential that it's going to sink in for people that like Trump really isn't going to pull it out.
1: It's hard to parse exactly how worried to be about violence leading up to Inauguration Day. On Wednesday, the Secret Service warned that the Boogaloo Boys, the far-right militia, are planning demonstrations in D.C. and at state capitals. And on Thursday, the FBI issued its own warning that the breach of the Capitol and the death of rioter Ashley Babbitt might be, quote, a significant driver of violence. But the conversations Will is watching seem to say something else.
0: I'm seeing a lot of people who are involved in January 6th say stay out of D.C., um, you know, because I think they realize correctly that D.C. is a hard target right now. And at minimum, there's going to be, I think, a lot of FBI people taking photos of everyone to maybe match them up to January 6th and even stay out of your state capitals, which is kind of the the ancillary side of this. There's this sense that, well, Trump hasn't endorsed anything, so we're not going to get behind it until Trump tells us what to do.
1: And if Trump doesn't tell them what to do?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, I think we probably won't see that kind of mass mobilization like we saw on January 6th. I think that you still can't rule out some you know, terrorist group or something like that taking some action, unfortunately.
1: This may be impossible, but if we try to kind of spin forward past Inauguration Day into a U.S. that is not led by Donald Trump, how do you think this online ecosystem plays out? And and what happens to these communities that have become very important to these people's lives?
0: You know, I think some of them will basically be able to sneak back onto Facebook or Twitter. I think the social media platforms will probably get a little less vigilant when it's not a riot happening. At the same time, I think we're potentially looking at a section of the country that is, you know, convinced that not only is Joe Biden illegitimate, but kind of the next step after that is that the Chinese government installed the president. That issue, I, I think, obviously goes beyond social media and we start talking about how common is this going to become now for protests or riots where it's just like do what we want, or you know, we're gonna you know shoot up this Capitol building.
1: Will Summer, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Will summer is a politics reporter at the Daily Beast. What are you going to do with yourself for the next week?
0: So I, I'm getting ready uh, for the inauguration. Uh, I think we've ordered uh, a better bulletproof vest for me. And, uh, you, you know, it, it, it's kind of a sad sign of how things are in Washington that I had to text a friend of mine at the Post that I ran into at the riot. And I said, hey, I really liked your vest. You know, that seemed like a much better uh, thing you had going.
1: Um. Please get a good bulletproof vest. Yes. Don't love that. <laughs> Don't love that at all.
0: Yes, yes. yes. Well, I got to hang back anyway. My wife doesn't want me to get COVID, so I can't get too busy.
1: And that's our show for today. TBD is produced by Ethan Brooks and edited by Allison Benedict and Tori Bosch. Alicia Montgomery is our executive producer. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And it's also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. Have a good weekend. And Mary Harris and her team will be back to cover the inauguration and more next week. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening.